Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 274 of the KaijuCast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the third episode of September 2019. And in this episode, we will be talking with a very good friend of mine. It's an interview I recorded last month at Bay Area Film Events Godzilla Fest, and after years of chatting about it, I get to speak with Sci-Fi Japan editor, Godzilla superfan and longtime friend of yours truly, Mr. Keith Aiken. Now, if you're new to the fandom or just don't run in those fandom circles, Keith will explain who he is, and I've been able to see some of the amazing properties that he's had the honor to work on. And we're going to deep dive into that history and what he's been working on recently, the Mill Creek Entertainment Ultraman releases, for example. Exciting times for kaiju fans, and I think to amp up that excitement, let's hear a short track from Ultraman, the 1966 series, before firing up that chat with Keith Aiken. So I'm sitting here with Keith Aiken, and we're actually above the Balboa Theater inside of a funky little break room. It's a literally a hole in the wall. Yeah, it's an alcove. It's an alcove. <laughs> it's got some cool stuff in it. But Keith is a longtime friend of mine. He and I used to work on Henshin Online together uh-huh. way, way back in the day. And uh, after Henshin Online folded... Keith and Bob and a group of other people started Sci-Fi Japan. I've been doing the podcast since 2009, and since 2009, I've wanted Keith on the podcast, and we just haven't been able to make it happen. Finally, 
in the last year of the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had to see each other face to face. Yeah, I like face to face interviews way better anyway, so I'm all cool with that. Uh, so, Keith, welcome to the Kaiju Cast. Finally, thank you. Sorry it took me so long to get here, but I'm glad we could get it done. Yeah, you know it's funny because originally I think I had an idea like, oh, I'll have Keith on and we can talk about like the rights of these films. Uh, yeah. If you think about like ten years ago, yeah. how everything was so crazy, like in terms of like who has the rights to which film and who has the rights to show it in theaters versus do it in home video yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and even ten years later. The rights are still kind of crazy, but they've moved around a lot. Oh, yeah, they've changed hands big time. Yeah, I guess – so there's not really a serious conversation here about, about this kind of stuff. I just wanted to chat with you and get you on the show. And basically, I know people have been asking to have you on the show too, like from back in the day. Okay, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I just want – I mean, like I know you know a lot of stuff. And I think what I'd like to do is talk about your history with Godzilla and specifically if for people that don't know, like what you worked on okay. in Hollywood, too. So why don't you dial way back okay. in the time machine? <laughs> well, we're going to go way, way back. Um, I grew up on the East Coast in Delaware. Oh, OK. And uh, where I was, it was Wilmington, Delaware. There's no local stations there. So they're all Philadelphia stations. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. And Philadelphia was a great market in the 70s for showing Japanese programming. Oh, okay. And, and by that I mean like the Godzilla stuff. Yeah. Gamera movies, Ultraman played constantly, Space Giants, yeah. Johnny Sacco. And so um, basically I was around that stuff from the far back as I can remember and the things the movies were on. Ultraman was on, you know, five days a week. Yeah. Godzilla movies were the Saturday afternoon movie, late, late show. Yeah, see, I, I missed all yeah. that stuff. So I missed I, all that I, good stuff. I don't know I why. Was, I was lucky enough. I mean, like I said, as far back as I remember, Godzilla's there. You yeah. Know? And there was already so many movies that, you know, you would see different ones all the time. And mm -hmm. it was like, it was real fun. You could, you know, watch other monster movies, but you, know, you see the guys, the little ones, and there's like more monsters and they're connecting and they're doing things. And it was really just stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so as I got older, we moved out to California. Um, I ended up becoming a comic book artist. Okay. And I, of course, was a hardcore Godzilla fan. So when Dark Horse got the rights to do Godzilla comics... I pestered the hell out of them. Nice, nice. And finally got a chance to work on the mainstream title, and also they did like an offshoot that was based on the Charles Barkley Nike commercial. I've so, got it. Yeah. I've got that. <laughs> so I, I had fun working on those, and uh, they were actually going like, do you even want to work on this one? And I'm like, yeah, it's Godzilla. Yeah. The commercial was fun, so why not? You know? So Did you also do the Hero Zero? Were you involved with that I did, crossover I as well? I didn't do the crossover issue, but I did a Hero Zero one-shot. So okay. I did one with that character, but on his own. Um, and then, like, after that, I, um, I got hired by Sony Pictures to be a storyboard artist on the Godzilla cartoon show they were doing that spun off from the 98 movie. You know, we've never talked about that oh, on the podcast. Yeah. We never yeah. talked about the animated series at all yeah, on the well, podcast. We could talk as much as you want. Let's definitely get into it at some point, yeah. So, um, with that show, basically, it was, in, it was part of the deal to make the movie. The mm -hmm. show was already included. Oh, okay. So, it was being developed while the film was in production. Right. So, um... I was not around at that time. Basically, okay. once they got up and running, basically about a month or so after the movie came out, yeah, I got the call from Sony to come in because they were now needing storyboard artists. Oh, okay, right on. So then I ended up working on the show for year, year and a half. So I was basically my full time job was drawing Godzilla. You so know, for, just immediately after the movie premiered, or? yeah, the movie premiered like in May. I got hired, I think, in June or July. Right on. Um, the show started; it came out in September because they were already 
Like say, yeah, you said it was already in development. In development yeah. stuff. So they had all that stuff locked down. So it was my first storyboarding job, and it was like learning on the go, you know. They had the comic awesome. book background, but it's a different discipline. Yeah. So Tell me a little bit about what that's like, going from comic book art to storyboard art. Because you'd look at them and think that they're so visually similar. Yeah. But there's a different language involved. Oh, right? yeah, there's yeah. very much. With comic books, obviously, you're doing, like, the panels are basically key shots of specific moments. So you're mm-hmm. doing... You know, somebody landing a punch. Right, know? yeah. In storyboarding, you're doing every stage of the arm being thrown, the body shifting, the punch oh, okay, landing, yeah. the recalls. And you also are real strict about it. You have the frame of the television, so mm-hmm. that's the frame of what you can work in. There's figuring out camera pans and movements yeah, yeah, and all yeah. those kinds of things. Because you're thinking, obviously, in a moving visual medium as opposed to a still visual medium. So, in... Then you also have to like match it to because uh, the audio tracks are already being recorded by the actors, so you're kind of like listening to what they're saying mm-hmm. and trying to match the expression so that it fits what they're saying. Oh, you had to go that that yeah, deep into it, expressions and stuff. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and um, you do that for the entire episode. I mean, it's like you know, not necessarily. It's not one artist; it's a team. But you're working together and you're doing scenes. So, are the storyboards for an animated show? Are those? more of a visual guideline for the actual animators? It depends. Like, um, if you're doing, say, computer animation, where they have the models of the characters in the computer already, right. you can be fairly loose with that stuff. Okay. When you're doing, like, standard Saturday morning animation, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, um, you are trying to be accurate and up close as possible because the animators overseas are going to do what you're doing. Yes, right? Right, yes. they're gonna, Whatever you show them, yeah. that's what they're going to replicate yeah, in that, in that exactly. style, yes. So, and the, you know, they're going to be filling in things, obviously, and stuff like that. But it's, totally. um, you know, if you put that expression, that's the expression that's going to end up on the thing. If you draw something a certain way, that's the way it's going to going to be. Yeah. So you were doing storyboards yeah. after they had recorded dialogue. Yeah. So that's different from movie production where they sort of start things almost oh, with yeah. storyboards, storyboards before filming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. for stories for like a movie, those are more of as a guideline. Right. Because obviously you're going to be filming it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's something that basically tells the camera, the director, or the, the team, camera placement, yeah. uh, angle, uh, close-up, long shot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who moves where, that kind of thing. You yeah. Know? Um, and so... There you can be a lot looser and a lot. Um, obviously, then the actor is going to give his performance and everything. With us, it's um, they have a script written. We get the script. Yeah. Um, obviously, the actors get the script. They go into the recording studio. They record their dialogue. They'll do multiple takes a lot of times to give you different inflections in case the director of the episode wants to go with like a pro would. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, and so then we get all that, and then basically once we have the script, we have the you know this character designs. For the episode, the monster, whatever the mm-hmm. guest monster is for that episode, and then you just start drawing. You know, that's awesome. And you run it past the director, and you make changes, and then it goes up to the producer, and he makes changes. You bring it back, and you tweak it. And when the show is, when the boards are done, and everyone's happy with that stage, then they do animatics where they scan all that, unlike you know, and, yes, and they basically yes. sync it to the dialogue. Okay. And, okay. And temp sound effects. I've seen those kinds of things in special features on, yeah. on DVDs. So yeah. you can watch where it's all black and white. Obviously, mm-hmm, it's a little mm-hmm. choppy, but you yeah. get the full episode done yeah. that way. And then you, that way you can check timing. 
Because, mm-hmm. again, when you're doing Saturday morning or weekday cartoon shows, you have commercial breaks. Uh, you're very tight times, yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it might be for a half-hour show. You might be 22 minutes and, like, 38 seconds, and you can't go 40 seconds. You yeah, yeah. 38. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> so it's like that kind of thing where, you know, it's that specific. Wow. Um, I should say, too, it's funny. When we were doing the um, – with the audio – you get it. Basically, it was a cassette tape back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it would have things like the actors would also do grunting and groaning for when they're pushing or pulling or fighting. Oh, things. yeah. Right. And those could be very funny because they would have them do it at length. And all those different takes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so you'd be sitting and listening to it and it might be a woman gasping for like three minutes. And you're just sitting there going, like, okay. <laughs> Can, you Can I get a director to choose one of these real quick? I don't want to have to hear so many gaspings. You know, I'm not was, causing those gasps. You know, exactly. But you're just listening to it. It's like you just, it's hard not to chuckle because you hear, you know. Um, and a couple of times I'd driven to work and I actually was listening, preparing for the day. Right. Driving in traffic and you're stopping at red lights and you're hearing suddenly it just goes into like, you know, three minutes of moaning and you're just people are looking at you. You're just like rolling down the windows, <laughs> nodding along. <Exactly. laughs> Basically, I did it one red light. I just turned to people and just kind of smiled and nodded because it's like, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to you know? do? How do you explain that in the space of time you got it in? You see, I'm a storyboard <laughs> artist. Where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> or you just go, no, I like to listen to porn on the way to work. You know, it's like, you know. <laughs> so uh, so after they put together the visual mm-hmm. that's that's timed like the episode, yeah. that's when it gets sent off to the then animators. Then it gets feed, yeah. And then, you know, months later, <laughs> yeah, comes back and then we'll, they'll make changes. And so stuff will be fine-tuned actually at the studio. Right. If there's, like, something's wrong, something's it's running too long, or characters suddenly, like, their face is wrong. Or yeah. Some, you yeah. Know, they, they can make those tweaks in-house with the editing mm. and, and, and stuff like that. So, so they don't have to send it back. No, it doesn't have to go animators. back all again. <laughs> um, and Do they have pickup animators here in Los Angeles, <laughs> well, California? They, they had basically... Because they had like the avid editing system, they were able oh, to like yeah. you know tweak things and move stuff around and cut stuff and you know. So I I went in praise did, digital editing exactly. everyone seriously. Um, so I got to go to like a couple of the recording sessions just because I was curious and they asked and they let me go. Yeah, because those were done at recording studios in Burbank, and we were you know, making the show in Color City, California, um, out by Santa Monica, and then um, also sat in. I I was just very curious about the process and as a Godzilla fan. I you know I would go sit in when they were making the animatics, yeah, or uh, um, go through when they were doing the editing session and just watch how it was done and kind totally, of totally right and uh, had fun. I actually went and sat in a lot of the times when the producers would come in and basically make the final say. Mm-hmm. And if they had stuff to be changed, I would sit in the room and take notes, and then I'd go out to the crew and go, all right, we got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and like, let's get going, you know. We, you know, got to turn it in tomorrow, that kind of thing. Did you become the note-taking guy just because you were showing up at the meetings? Sometimes, <laughs> like, yeah. I um, It was kind of, they were very cool about it. They kind of found that I was good at, um, I think it might have come from my background as a comic book artist, too, about the continuity of things. Oh, sure, I had yeah. an eye for that kind of stuff. So they started trusting me to like, all right, you take notes on this stuff, you got it, and then you tell the other guys what needs to be done. And I ended up doing that quite a bit at Sony, yeah. which was very cool. And it was like, I'm, you know, it was nice that they entrusted me with that. Um, and it was just good to be, you know, so you're not just sitting at a drawing table all day, too. Get you up and moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and I said, so we did that for 
That show probably took about a year and a half I was on. Okay. Then I moved on to other shows at Sony, like Big Guy and Rusty, which is based on the Frank Miller comic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jackie Chan show that they did was Jackie Chan Adventures. <gasps> I think I watched that. Yeah. This is you're talking about the perfect time for me to watch these cartoons because oh, yeah. of my son being ah, around yeah. that he cartoony been. age. Yeah, exactly. it's a great excuse. <laughs> I just got to watch this Godzilla cartoon uh, for my son, and you can just blink and miss my name just at the end. Yeah, I'll um, <laughs> uh, say, but basically because of that. Um, you know, I got to know Mike Schlesinger at Sony, who was oh, not right. involved yeah, in the yeah. cartoon side, but we were both working at Sony at the same time. So. Um, Right around the time when they were getting Godzilla 2000. Mm-hmm. So it was, I met Mike too late to actually kind of weasel my way into working on that in some capacity. <laughs> right, yeah. um, but I did get to go to like, you know, advanced screenings of the film on the lot and got to know Mike. And then um, shortly thereafter, I got to know the people at Toho LA. You should probably tell people who Mike Schlesinger I probably is, should, yeah. just Mike because Schlesinger. I don't think we've talked to him at, oh, at yeah, all on the podcast. Oh, no. Okay, Mike Schlesinger worked at Sony. He was in the repertory department. Mm-hmm. Um, when Sony licensed Godzilla 2000 and decided to give it a theatrical release, Mike had been handling the uh, DVDs and the stuff. Heisei stuff, yeah, like yeah. basically if they were doing a theatrical screening or doing some kind of event with one. So he was considered the Godzilla guy. Yeah. And he goes, which meant he'd seen a few Godzilla movies. <laughs> um, the authority they, yeah, at Sony, they, yeah. They tasked him with basically producing the American version. So he did the editing, hired the dubbing crew, supervisor. Mm-hmm. He was basically the director of the American cut. Yeah, and that American cut, if listeners are not aware, is quite different than the Japanese version. Yeah. If you get the Sony Blu-ray, too, it has his audio commentary and the Japanese and American cut, so you can hear him talk about that process. Oh, he does a commentary on the Japanese cut, too? Oh, no, sorry, just on the American. Sorry (laughs) about that. I was thinking Uh, about that whole Criterion thing where they had David Callett do both the American 56 and 54. Rephrase that it has the American (laughs) cut with his commentary plus the Japanese cut on its own. Gotcha. But you can compare the two, and you can also hear Mike talk about the changes made that he made for the American cut yeah. and why they were done and things like that. Yeah, I was um, going to be real surprised if Sony put actually any effort into their <laughs> <laughs> new releases for Godzilla. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so through Mike, I got to know, like, uh, kind of bouncing around a little bit here, but yeah, through, yeah. through Mike, I got he introduced us to the people at BFI, the British Film mm-hmm, Institute, mm-hmm. who were putting out a Godzilla um, uh, DVD. He also introduced us to uh, the Bruce Goldstein at Rialto Pictures, mm, who was mm-hmm. doing the 50th anniversary the, theatrical yeah, release of the, the original Godzilla. Right, yeah. And he said, like, um, you know, you guys should talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we ended up, uh, I was part of the group with, like, uh, Ed Gazicheski and Steve Rifle. We did the audio commentary for the BFI Godzilla disc. Um, also, BFI was doing the Mysterians, so we gave them some bonus content for that as oh, well. Oh, cool. Yeah, just like ad slakes and some stuff that we, you know, oh. we had in our personal collection. So those I've are I've never on. picked that up. Is that a... Did they make a decent uh, B, uh, UK release for that yeah. film? Yeah. It came out before the Media Blasters one. So if you have the... You might not need to double dip. But, okay. I, but it's got, you know, a few things on it. There's, you know... I mean, I might need to triple dip if oh, I've got the Japanese one, too. Oh, but there you go. <laughs> um, so we did that. And then around the same time, we did uh, publicity for 
uh, Bruce Goldstein has his new publicity for Godzilla 54. Right. So we did things like... Uh, I remember that very yeah. well when it was going, you know, all the local theaters were... Yeah, the second-run art house theaters were like, we're showing the original Godzilla film. I remember taking Tiger oh, to Cinema 21. <laughs> <laughs> this little two-year-old or one, you know, one-year-old kid and I are just like watching... He was probably older than that, but like little kid watching the black-and-white subtitled film in the theater. Oh, yeah. yeah. Still, it worked. Yeah, I imagine yeah. at the very least you can just get wrapped up in all the monster stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. it was good times. I mean, that was that was probably, good lord, that was probably just my second or third time ever seeing a Godzilla film on the big screen. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. my first one was the two thousand was Godzilla two thousand. Okay, I had never seen anything in the theater before that. It was like uh, sad times for my theatrical life. But the seeing that in the theater was great, and then going to see the. Rialto one was like night and day, you know, oh, like yeah. the Rialto, the, I should say for the listeners, the Rialto release of the 1954 Godzilla, yeah. which is, which went into theaters all across the country, probably all over the world. Yeah, it was, uh, I know it definitely did like North America. So, yeah. I, you know, and uh, yeah, it got a pretty wide release. I mean, you know, playing art houses here, art houses there and kind of around. And um, he had the rights, you know, for several years, so they did reissues and things, so yeah, they kept yeah. popping back up and things. So yeah, and that did a, really well for him. Such a cool time. That was like right around two thousand four, right? Yeah, like sometime that was. around then. Yeah. So, it all was right. Like, so what what came after after the BFI? So after the BFI, we did the stuff with for with Godzilla fifty four, where we did like Steve Rifle did the press kit or mm-hmm. the press book. Uh, we both went on and did interviews for like NPR just to promote the release. Oh, cool! And did different things that Bruce asked us to do just to help promote it. Um, that kind of led into with 2005, 2006, we started doing the stuff with the Egyptian theater, the American yes. Cinematheque in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so they were doing a big event for the 50th anniversary. And so that would be 2004 again. Yep. So it was a very busy time. <laughs> and they decided to do a film festival that had something like, uh, Godzilla and other Toho films. It was somewhere in the ballpark of like 17 or 18 movies over the course of several days. Guests from Japan, oh, and yeah. So we, we <laughs> I remember seeing all this stuff obviously oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. when we were we were promoting it on <laughs> on and online. Yeah, they, they just kept adding things. It was great, and um, we even had like beyond the Japanese guests, like George Takei came out for the screen. Oh, for super Dan, cool, super you know, cool, um, and things like that. Since he was one of the dubbing voices in that, that was actually his first acting job. Yeah, so he was very excited to go see the movie again. After he's come through Portland a couple times, yeah. and every time I'm like, man, can I get him on the podcast just to talk about Rodan? It's <laughs> <laughs> just for a minute. He's a good guy. You should try to get a hold of him. It's like, yeah, uh, I actually uh, do have a, a potential connection there, okay. but uh, we'll see how that works out. Anyway, <laughs> the, in the long run. Yeah, so that was that was a really cool time too because uh, similar to right now, mm-hmm. a lot of art house theaters, second run theaters, and historic theaters oh, yeah. were doing Godzilla film festivals as part of that sort of fiftieth anniversary. You did one that year too, right? That's right, yeah. up in Portland, Oregon, the fifty years of Godzilla film festival, and Bob and the San Francisco crew did one here. Mm-hmm. It would be the theater? first one of these. No, it was at the Castro. Uh, the Castro. The yes. Castro. Yeah, they did the first because we're currently at the. 2019 Godzilla Fest. That yeah. would have been the first Godzilla <laughs> Fest, <laughs> which was another multi-day, multiple Japanese guest totally, event. Yeah. You know, I, again, I remember that one yeah. too. So it, we, you know, basically doing two of those festivals in the course of a, you know, eight months or six months it was pretty exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> and that immediately led as that Godzilla Fest was ending. Godzilla Final World's world premiere was happening, yep. and Toho had asked me to help with publicity for that. So mm, we mm-hmm. were promoting it on Henshin. 
we were doing online promotions and doing different things for that. Um, and uh, I helped kind of like get in some of the uh, some guests for him and, and things like that. So, of course, you were there. You know how crazy that was. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, that was like, well, that was my first ever Hollywood premiere. Probably oh. the last one I'll ever go to <laughs> as well. But it was, uh, it was such a crazy experience for someone who's not from California. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the lights, the glitz, the glamour. It was all there. Yeah, they yeah. went to town on that. They really did. The yeah. whole weekend. The whole yeah. weekend was super fun because they had the... The Hollywood star unveiling, which yeah. was probably the best. I think that was the most fun I had the whole time, aside from hanging out with my friends. But yeah, but I know what you mean, though. Like, that was very it cool. It was so cool. They had the Godzilla suit come out and, like, blow the fog, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just really awesome to see people uh, from Hollywood giving tribute, paying tribute to the King of the Monsters yeah. on that big, you know, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, they were yeah. full in. They really did with that. Like you said, that and the premiere, and just kind of the related because the was, parade. Yeah, there was like Christmas parade. <laughs> yeah. They had the Godzilla float. Yeah, uh, it was like so you're like walking down the street and Godzilla just comes rolling by, all lit up. In yeah, <laughs> and the night before we were walking down that street mm. and it was just like, oh, here it is. The yeah. float is literally just parked on the side <laughs> of the road. Yeah. So we got a whole bunch of pictures right <laughs> in front of it. Yeah, ah, it was such a crazy time. That, yeah, that 2004. Little one month window of like, or the three month window of all the crazy stuff happening with the film festivals and, and Final Wars. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that was fun for me because it's like I had got to know the people from Toho, Los Angeles, really well. Yeah, and they had invited us to the premiere, and then invited us to come up and like where they were like they had you know uh, basically not they weren't hotel rooms but they were like. I, at the hotel, there were spaces for them where they had taken it to make basically temporary offices. Oh, okay. Go okay, out there yeah. for, to handle everything. So we got to go up there before the Walk of Fame thing oh. and walked in. And, of course, there's the Godzilla suit. <laughs> and it was like, holy crap, there's Godzilla. <laughs> I actually see it. <laughs> you know. Um, and then got to meet, like, you know, Shogo Tomiyama and yeah. you know, Ryo Kinemura. And uh, got to be, had times we interviewed them both at that time. And... Uh, Ran that stuff on Henshin. and but it was just kind of nice to get all these little behind the scenes kind of perks. That's cool. And, like, yeah. Looks at you know. Um, there were so many perks that weekend. Yes, <laughs> so many perks. We got were to you, go to the after the after party. The after party. Did you do bowling? Were you there in time for bowling? Uh, we went bowling at one of those places. Like no, I missed that. <laughs> like, like a night or two before the premiere. Oh, so, okay, yeah. So like a lot of the Topi were coming in, and everybody was pretty drunk, and and <laughs> and. Uh, I'm not much of a bowler, but I was giving it my best. Um, Shinichi Wakasa and Sutomo Kitagawa yeah. both love bowling. Oh, so that's kind of awesome. like, we got to go bowling. So that's I was like, super right. cool. That's so hot. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, yeah, the after party was just insane with Don Fry. And I like how there was the after party. Oh, yeah. And then there was like the VIP after yeah. party. I had never experienced anything like that before. It was really. Interesting, yeah. The way that that was kind of like segregated, oh, almost, uh, basically totally segregated, yeah. yeah. So. And then all of us yeah. are like, like waiting <laughs> for somebody to be like, "You come in," and like <laughs> it was like a weird holding pattern. We were just like, "Is somebody going to point at me and let me in this special room?" <laughs> but it was a great room because yeah, it had everybody it was that I wanted back to talk there, to. Though, yeah, the, the entire cast and crew basically were yeah, back totally. There. And so you could just talk to them like real casually, and you know, 
Yeah, and everybody was drinking. <laughs> Dude, if I was in 2004, if I had been as versed in the Japanese cinema as I was today, mm-hmm. that would have been a treasure trove for me there. Oh, yeah. But I was not I wasn't an interviewer back then. I, I wasn't talking to people and trying to get information. In fact, uh, I got introduced to Eiji Asada. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I did feel bad because I, I realized much later who he was. And now oh, yeah. I'm like, God, I want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> he, it was funny because we were with um, Satomu. I, I called Tom because that's what he just said. Called me yeah, Tom. yeah. So we were with him on Hollywood Boulevard and we bumped into Asada. This was bef- like a few hours before the premiere. Mm-hmm. So we all went to Hooters. And, and <laughs> Tom was really nervous because he was like, my wife's not going to want me to go here, like that thing. But uh, we got in there. We got there. They both got their pictures taken with the Hooters girls. That's amazing. We got some food, you know. It was kind is, of the, a, is there a Hooters still across the street I from the Chinese theater? I don't think it's there anymore. It was, it was um, yeah, it was almost directly across the street. It was like. Yeah, you know, that was I funny. Think, so <laughs> I, never, I think I, at the same time, I had never been to a Hooters before either. <laughs> it is like, it's not like what people think. But it was a weekend of yeah. firsts for me down in California that weekend. <laughs> but, yeah, that but you said it was just those like weird, little weird incidents just kept yeah. popping up. Yeah, know? but and say after all that kind of stuff in 2004, we did more festivals with the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one devoted to King Kong uh, for when the Peter Jackson film was coming oh, out. Okay, cool. So we did showed basically every Kong film except for the 76 one because Paramount did not have a print. So really? Was, yeah. So huh. it was just something that had deteriorated over time and you know that's sad so now everything's (laughs) digital so you know they probably do it now um so we did that we did other godzilla film festivals with the egyptian we did something with ultraman where we premiered like ultraman the next i remember that yeah yeah yeah. uh, because we were trying to show that at the hollywood theater at some point uh, and i remember it just being either it was too expensive for us mm -hmm. or it was just kind of crazy at the yeah. time. So it's weird time that 2004 era for renting films yes, for theatrical is. stuff. Um, I'd say, but then around the same time as that, we got hired. It would be, again, it would be Ed, Steve, and I were hired by Classic Media. Yes, uh, based on what we had done with BFI, um, and we worked on their library of Godzilla films, which was most of the Showa stuff. Yeah, yeah all the stuff it. that came from. Scimitar. Yeah. Well, yeah. they had basically what they'd done. They'd bought the library from uh, United Artists. Yeah, or, yeah, or, excuse yeah. Me, not, yeah. UPA, United Productions of America, which was Henry Saperstein's company. Mm-hmm. And obviously he had co-produced a bunch of the Toho stuff. Yeah. So he had licensed stuff out over the years to like Scimitar and uh, Paramount and other things. But it was all back with him at that point. So uh, after his death, uh, the company was sold and... Um, Classic Media ended up picking up his assets or mm-hmm. his film library. And then they also acquired the film libraries from, it was very odd, it was Little Golden Books, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They actually had the TV and video rights to Ghidra, the three-headed monster. And, really? And Godzilla Raids again. <laughs> that is funny. So that's how those ended up in the, the block, too. So another kind of like library thing where they yeah. bought a library bought, and just happened to come with those yeah. movies? They actually, Classic Media's thing was they like to buy recognizable properties. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for things like Lone Ranger and Lassie and Casper and these yeah. kind of things. And... And Those, Saperstein uh, had like Mr. Magoo, yeah, right? Like Mr. that Magoo, was almost his big that was big his thing, con- yeah. contribution. Yeah, and the, you know he'd done films and stuff like that too. But yeah, Mr. Magoo was their big thing. Um, but so Classic Media bought these and they ended up with Godzilla films. Yeah. <laughs> so their initial releases, they just like put them out movie disc. You know, I remember very well. Yeah. Yes. And then as the rights basically, 
as Classic Media's rights were about to expire because they had picked up the existing you know, rights from UPA and right. stuff, they were like, well, these sell. We should renew them. And we should do something different, uh-huh. you know. So, so based on what you know, we the recommendations from, like, say, the BFI and all these other places that we'd worked with, they hired us to do the audio commentaries and um, write the packaging notes and uh, put together all the extras and the stuff. Yeah, right? basically put yeah. all red together, all the extra con, and also uh, look at what they had and say like. Use this version. Don't use that version. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Because like a lot of stuff they had they had picked up because they were getting it, you know, secondhand, whatever. Um, were like one inch master pan and scan tapes that had for TV broadcast, right? But we're not gonna hold up in the widescreen totally, Blu-ray totally, DVD yeah. era. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they had to go and like negotiate with Toho for new copies, sure, yeah, and things like that. So, but you know, that was the thing where they wanted somebody who like knew to say. Not this. <laughs> right, right. Um, and Steve was telling me at one point that you guys had to, like, cut together the Ghidra movie. Yeah, that was – I was not personally about That would have been um, – uh, I'm totally blank on the same. Uh, that did the commentary for uh, Criterion's Godzilla. David Callett. Sorry, I'm totally yeah. like, I know David. I'm just really <laughs> bad. Um, David Callett did that, yeah, because he had his own, if you remember, his own video label, and he had done oh, editing. right. And yes, w- yes. what had happened is Ghidra was only the one-inch master. Uh-huh. So it was pan and scan. It was old. It was kind of blurry. Yeah. Um, if anyone bought any of the previous DVD releases, they'll know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> and Toho did not have a widescreen transfer of the American version. Right. So... Uh, Somehow, Toho was able to come up with the opening titles and the end titles. In, oh, yeah. in the American version? Yeah, for the American gotcha. version. So okay. that's my understanding is that they came from Toho. And then David was basically, they gave David the transfer, the Japanese cut, and he just basically went and synced it. Oh, wow. Step by step, cut by cut, to match it up and, you know, replicate the Japanese yeah. cut. So that's, so. I mean, for the listeners, that's a lot of work for oh, an yeah. hour and a half movie. Yeah, yeah, that, exactly. And and that was luckily the one extreme. The other ones, it's like, you, you know, the quality of the things, because they're older prints, and mm-hmm. things like that. some look better than others. Um, but at least they didn't have to be completely reconstructed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, so what was the, the funnest part about working on those classic media discs? Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun working with those guys. They're, all, they're a good group. And just, again, getting the chance to, you grow up with these movies, and you're suddenly like, hey, I'm working on Ghidra. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I'm working on Monster Zero. I'm, I'm you know, to, to, you know, to get a chance, uh, you know, Godzilla, the original Godzilla, Godzilla slash King of the Monsters, you know, yeah. um, are kind of like the Holy Grail. I mean, they're the ones that started everything. And to have got a chance to work on the BFI set and the classic media set. I mean, mm-hmm. So I got to do it twice. That's um, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a good notch on the belt, feather yeah. in the cap kind of thing. Um, there we go. <laughs> this is what I love about this room. <laughs> Get a sound check from a movie. It's a... In the beginning of the... Oh, I can't yeah. remember what they say. <laughs> They're gonna, definitely watching Godzilla vs. Megalon right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I just love the background soundtrack. Yeah, Godzilla. it's kind of cool. It's like yeah. I, I feel like this is going to be one of those. I'm not really going to edit this podcast, mm-hmm. just so, so you guys can experience this with us. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the classic media stuff. Yeah, so I mean, so working on it. I mean, it was just fun. Again, you're getting paid to work on Godzilla. Totally. And as a fan growing up, a kid from Delaware, going, I'm working on Godzilla. I'm like, I call Toho and I go, 
I have a question about this, or can you check this for me? Yeah. You know, like, it was just, it, you know, it was very cool. Um, and again, to work on all those classic movies that I'd grown up with, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was it was fun because it was about a two year process. Okay. Um, most of the like heavy stuff, the the audio counters and stuff were done in the first six months. Oh, but then okay. there was a lot of, um, you know, as each release was coming out, we would do publicity, you know, and uh, they had me answering. They had a f- page for a while where they would answer fan questions. And oh, so cool. I did that, you know, and, um, you know, again, did things like radio interviews and, and that kind of stuff. So it, it was just fun as each one came yeah, along, yeah. you know, so. I So when the first classic media set came out, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it and saying to myself, well, this looks like the kind of thing that my family would get me. Oh. And I'm like, this has zero extra features. All oh. the movies are dubbed. Mm-hmm. They're just like the, the most basic versions, like you said. Yeah. And so I remember just being like, uh, don't don't get this for me, anybody. Please don't get this for me. <laughs> and then I think I knew somewhere in the back of my head that something better was just around the yeah. corner. And so the second batches of, of those movies really upped the game if uh the listeners are not familiar the first ones like we just sort of said were just the movie they had kind of a coherent packaging design but that was about all you got that that made it yeah yeah and then the second round of these movies when they came out they looked awesome like was godzilla 54 the first one that was released that it's sort of in like a big double box kind of thing yeah they all have a jap they all have a strip of paper that goes on the bottom of the outside of the packaging yeah. which is very japanese it's called an obi yeah. and if you buy japanese books if you buy japanese dvds or other media you're very familiar with that obi <laughs> and these guys made all of these discs have yeah. little obis for each each individual movie that was cool it was just like you said it was nice to work on something where they were really striving for quality. Yeah, and they, you know, again, it's very just, classy too. You know, yeah, you know, and there was like you know they certainly weren't perfect because <laughs> you know you're dealing with uh, rights issues and you're dealing with time and budgets, and you know these companies are obviously like they can only spend so much or this thing is just not going <laughs> right? to you know they're going to lose money. Yeah, they they um, can't spend too much money on it because they won't make it. Yeah. yeah, so we would kind of do a whole throw everything but the kitchen sink at them mm-hmm. and then they would pare it down you yeah. know and then we would say well what, you should really make sure this is on here you yeah know? and they go okay you well, know? the, <laughs> the special of... you guys ended up creating quite a lot of special features for that yeah. too yeah uh, well it was mainly uh, Ed and Steve did the documentary right because um, basically the first titles had sold so well that um, they were like well, we should do something special for one okay. and the initial plan I think was when they did the box set that that documentary was going to be part of the box set um, yes, I've heard several several times about the it was supposed to be its own disc in the yeah, box set, and yeah. then it was relegated to the backside of Rodan. Right? Yeah, yeah, so it's a so, and you know, I know that you know those guys were frustrated because that was kind of it was basically at the end of the run of these things. So yeah, I yeah. think they were like, "Cosmic was ready to move on to something else." And, oh you know, man, and uh, you know. Um, but it's like the documentary itself. I think is great. And I, oh, you know, I love it. Uh, I think and, I really think it's like it's probably the best documentary that anybody will ever make on this subject, just because of the people that are in it. Yeah, you know? and I the think further we get away from that original timeline. Yeah, I mean, sadly, like Yasuki, in a way, and a lot of these guys have passed away totally. since it was made. Yeah, yeah. You know, Harao Nakajima, or you know, is yeah. is no longer with us, and. Uh, they all were willing to take part in that documentary. It was fantastic. And to have the original effects crew recreate an effect. Yeah. The water tank thing. The water uh, tank effect was yeah. awesome. You know, just to show how that 
hands-on practical, you know. Yeah. I loved it. So I'm curious. I know that this is probably a question more for Steve and Ed and Norman, but basically now that classic media is not putting these movies out, like what's the status of that documentary? That I don't know. I imagine it's either still with classic media, not like they could do anything with it. Right. Or it may have reverted to Toho. Because it's got Godzilla in the title, so you can't easily just put it out on its own, right? No. Uh, It's too bad. So um, that's the thing where... Maybe somebody be willing to look look into licensing it for one of their sets or something down the line. Now that yeah, Keith. Criterion or something. Would you be willing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I'd have to figure out who has it, and I, I you know that I track you that stuff down. You know that you've got it all written down at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have done this interview from my house, but you know, no, like, this no. is better. This is way better. We get but, to play around with yeah. person. But the that I, I would love to see that come out on its own because I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it because of that reason. And that's a shame. I mean, I would love to show that on the big screen at the Hollywood theater sometime. We should, um, yeah. Remind me like later, I'll look in and see what the rights are for that. See, because we did, when it came out, we did a few screenings. Yes. And 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 I have heard some stories about higher definition (laughs) materials and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, um, and trying to think what else though, there was like, so as we wrap that up, basically kept doing stuff with the Egyptian and then it kind of there was like more sporadic after that because we'd done the big chunk right so like over the years um, I've worked on a lot of titles um, but it, they're very spread out it's like I did like broke copy for some of the discotheque media Toho releases like oh yeah yeah and yeah and things um, worked on with I've worked on a lot of stuff with Mill Creek Okay, um, which I guess we can get into in a little bit. Um, well, so when you say you worked on these things, like how far past the classic media stuff are you talking about? Like, um, like when did Cyanar Jupiter come out? Cyanar Jupiter and those probably were around the same time, but I was, mm. it was very minimal work I was doing on those. Obviously, oh, okay. it was, they kind of asked me some questions about the films. They asked me to write some some uh, packaging copy, some things they like proof a couple of things, and that was kind of the gist of that. Yeah, um, I've always liked. The Bye Bye Jupiter as the, the, oh, the title? title is like for some reason that Bye Bye is a, <laughs> instead of Sayonara, it's like a weird Bye Bye Jupiter. It sounds like a song title. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it was actually funny. They asked me which title to use, and I said, Go with Sayonara. <laughs> it's the classier of the yeah, two. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it would work more if it was like a children's film. Yeah. Bye Bye Jupiter. You know. <laughs> it's like it's the companion piece to Goodnight Moon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can just go through the whole solar system just saying goodbye to Yeah. Goodbye, uh, sun. Yeah. <laughs> now we're all dead. Give back yeah. the sun. Yeah. Uh, well, so let's see. So uh, what I, t- I kind of want to veer back away from the the media stuff, because okay. this is around the same time that uh, essentially that Henshin Online folded and Sci-Fi Japan kicked off. Right. Yeah. Like right around the 2005 era. Yeah. 2005, 2006. Yeah. Around there. So let's and, talk about, let's dive into sci-fi Japan for a okay, bit. Yeah. Well, sci-fi Japan, basically Henshin, it kind of wound down because there was people kind of going their separate ways. It was kind of, yes, the, yes, the it happened. One way <laughs> of mentioning it, I guess. Yeah. That's you the, know, that's uh, the, that's the uh, diplomatic way to say yes. it. Yes. You were there, you know, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I might, did not have a plan to do an, the only because I know how much work Henshin Online had been. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know there was a while you and I were kind of handling things while you know everybody else was dealing with their own Dude, projects. Dude, there was a there was a point in time. Just so the listeners know this, there there was a point in time when basically Henshin Online was Keith 
telling me like what to post and he would send me stuff and it was almost just me and him for yeah. like months at a time. Yeah, it was crazy. Bob was busy with Godzilla Fest, the right. first one. It was everybody was kind of working on projects and it's, yeah, it's totally. understandable. It's just that happens. Um, but we were kind of like as we were doing our own We were thing. running that show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but as um, that was winding down, I was like, well, I need a break. This yeah. is good. And not long after that, Bob Johnson, who you know was doing Godzilla Fest, we'd worked with on Henshin Online, um, said, we should do something. So yeah. I was like, all right, we're going back in. How much know? of a break did you get, though? <laughs> Maybe three months. <laughs> I somehow doubt it's even that, yeah, my friend. Probably that was might be a stretch. Um, so the idea with, with Sci-Fi Japan basically was um, I had grown up uh, a fan of like the old fanzines, you know, mm-hmm. first of all, things like famous monsters, but then you got stuff that was like really targeted at, you know, this genre mm-hmm. and it would be like Ed Gazzacchesi's Japanese Giants right. and Greg Shoemaker's, uh, you know, Japanese fantasy film journal. Right. And I was just really impressed with like the scholarly treatment, the accuracy of the reporting, um, and also like particularly with, with uh, Japanese fantasy film journal, mm-hmm. they were getting a, like in the last four or five issues of the magazine, which they would do like one a year. So right. I mean, so yeah, you know, yeah. he would do, they were getting a lot of material from the studios in Japan. Mm-hmm. So he was running really great photos and press releases and like all this really interesting stuff. And in his final issue, he said like, well, I'm going to stop doing these because the attitude of the studios has changed and they don't really want to deal with foreign press anymore. Really? Like, yeah, like his type, oh. like this type. And he said, they're not sending me stuff anymore. And he goes, it makes it really difficult to yeah, do what we're yeah. doing. So I was reading it and I was thinking, well, I have ends with Toho, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, I know people at Subaraya. Bob Johnson is very tight with people at Subaraya and had been for you know decades. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I had been going to like through the film festivals in LA and doing the stuff with the Egyptian and the American film market. I'd gotten to know people from Toei and Shochiku and uh, Nick or, uh, Katakawa, which owns now it's Daiei. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking we could do a site with material direct from the source, and that's like something no one else is doing. Yeah, that's gonna, yeah. Um, a lot of really great websites out there, a lot of great fan sites, but we were looking to do something where. We're directly in touch with the people making these things. Yeah, the let's, official word. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Let's share really great photos, not stuff scanned from books or magazines. Totally. You know, yeah. Not taking content from Japanese websites and just putting it on our own. You know, that kind of thing. And then also mixing it in with the quality of writing that we had done. You know, on the Blu-rays and on yeah, Henshin and, totally. and things like. So that was the hope. Um, so when I started reaching out to the studios. Everybody said yes immediately, except for Toho and Super Eye. <laughs> <laughs> the ones you had the closest ties yeah, with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The ones, you know, I you know, met Toei guys at a, you know, film market, you know, and they were like, sure, you know. Um, so Toho and Super Eye were both like, we can give you stuff case by case. Mm-hmm. So if you want something, contact us and we'll talk it over. Sure, we'll yeah. You, okay. Kind of, um, Toho was still kind of reluctant with dealing with like what they were considering fan press because they didn't want to seem like they were showing favoritism for one thing. They also felt they'd been mistreated like by some of the fans who were like sure. you know, sites who had been groups that were like pirating movies or, oh, okay. or running like doing their own comic strips with the characters and not paying licensing fees. Gotcha. These yeah. kinds of things that, you know. So um, I had to keep going like, well, it's us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We're not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, 
So it was kind of a case-by-case thing. Super Riot was in the middle of the litigation for the international rights. Right. So they were very cautious about how to promote stuff outside Mm -hmm. Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a while, basically. So Toho um, basically finally approved us a few years ago for, like, full-on press credentials. Right. As opposed to, like... Can we have this? You know, <laughs> and, and then wait for whatever long it yeah, takes for somebody to get yeah. back to you. Now, like every movie and every show they do, or every movie they do, I should say, um, I get press materials, and then we can run That's them or choose super not, cool. or not to. So it's not just Godzilla; it's yeah. you know the anime stuff, it's feature films, comedies, mm-hmm. dramas, mm-hmm. and we try to run as much of that as we can on the site because you'll get actors crossing over. You know, you get. I know the actor might be in Godzilla 2000, and then he's doing like some big film in Japan. Oh yeah, that makes a ton you know, of sense. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like if you like this actor, mm-hmm. here's, and if you don't know this actor yet, well, he did this other stuff, and yeah. now he's going to be in a Godzilla yeah, exactly. film. You go back, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's not just who are these people, you know, kind of thing. Um, Subaraya once the lawsuit was cleared, and mm-hmm. in their favor, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I talked to them, and they're like, "Yeah," and so I get cool. stuff from them like four or five times a week. I'm oh, getting sweet. press updates from them about really stuff. Cool. So we basically now have. Everybody. <laughs> so we've got, got all of the studios. Yeah, so it's the, it's the five major studios, plus a lot of the other production companies like NTV and TBS and uh, Tokushina uh, and stuff like that. So, so we're getting stuff from pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. So I figure that's kind of our thing is we're able to present stuff direct to people, direct yeah. from the studios. You know, yeah, you guys have a ton know. of like just basically press releases, yeah. not just from Japan, but yeah. even from the States, yeah. too. Yeah, and of course, we're doing, you know, dealing with companies like Viz and Funimation, yeah. Media Blasters, when they were still regularly doing stuff. <laughs> oh, um, Media Blasters. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Mill Creek now. Yeah, um, yeah, Mill so, Creek. So, you know, these companies um, and uh, a lot of the licensing companies. And then, you know, that obviously led into um, context with Warner Brothers when they started doing Godzilla stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been able to run, you know, the you know production notes and photos from for like the last two American Godzilla films. We ran the stuff from Toho and from Warner Brothers. Oh, so cool. we were able to kind of like here's what's the, how they're doing it in Japan. Here's how they're doing it in the United States. That's cool. Yeah. Does, did you yeah. do that for any of the other legendary um, monster movies like um, Kong or? We, yeah, we did for Kong as well. There wasn't because they tend to use a lot of the same photos and things like that. Oh, of course. But we were <laughs> doing like we were able to get like you know high res poster art. Yeah. And trailers and things like that. You know, and did it so. Yeah, that um, Yuji Kaida Kong. Skull Island poster yes. is probably the coolest thing to come out from any of this legendary stuff. <laughs> exactly, it's awesome. <laughs> so rad, <laughs> you know. So, I, but it's just fun. So it's like, you know, since I grew up again loving this stuff, yeah. You get these like press things, and it's like it's like being a kid in a candy store. I'm like going through, and like, oh man, look at the, all these photos for the new Ultraman movie, totally. you know? <laughs> and like the production notes, and we can run this, you know. Yeah. And it's just a matter of translating things. <laughs> so you guys have like people on staff, like on staff that you just send the send stuff, or, or does Toho actually provide you with English language materials? Oh uh, no, now? it's a lot. Of, sometimes it's English, but a lot of times it's like we're using translators, or you know, doing the best of our ability. Yeah. Um, one of the companies that's been sending me stuff regularly for years is X Plus. Oh, cool! Yeah, so we do those, I know those guys. Yeah, so we do those <laughs> monthly updates where we run all the photos. Yeah, you know, um, and they send the stuff, and it's the text is in Japanese, but it's like it's fairly easy to translate height. Weight, yeah, for those guys, up. yeah, <laughs> little toys and stuff that's understood. Yeah, yeah. Little toys in yeah. quotation marks there for kids. <laughs> But uh, it, it's fun with them because they send me photos that are just massive. Like, yeah. You know, and 
I know you're in the, your titles, your your articles. You're like high res photos yeah. in all caps and stuff. Because yeah. you know, obviously you can go to their site and see most of the same photos. Totally. Yeah. But our stuff is like five times the size. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're a fan, and you want to see how the detailing on a figure is. Yeah. You can totally, you know, our photos might be bigger than the figures if you actually pulled them up. You know what's funny <laughs> is, so I'm on, I'm in an X Plus group, right, mm-hmm. and on Facebook, and it's basically it's just a Facebook group where people who collect that that line of yeah. that manufacturer's line of toys. Mm-hmm. They just talk about that stuff, right? People will ask questions, and I used to be able to go to the X Plus website ah. and look at their past history, but then they changed it somewhat the recently. Layout, yeah. And now, Sci-Fi Japan is actually the best resource for that kind of stuff, yeah, because think- for anything that came out in the last six years, yeah. you guys have covered it. And so I'm like, man, when did that Gamora figure get released and then I can just go to Sci-Fi <laughs> Japan and search for it as opposed to trying to fumble my way through the Japanese site. Yeah, yeah I, I know. We know what you mean. It's like, because I used to do the same thing. You yeah. go back because I would check because obviously when they reissue something, mm-hmm. we like to let them know like when the initial version came out. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's yeah, it's an Easter egg kind of trying to find that information. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, Sci-Fi Japan, uh, you know, everybody who listens to the Kaiju cast knows what Sci-Fi Japan is because I... And constantly linking to anytime we talk about news, yeah. you'll find a link in the show notes to the Sci-Fi Japan article where blah, you know. I it's really just, appreciate that. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's it's completely helped you guys. <laughs> That's a joke. I, this is a popular, you know, you Kaiju Cast is popular. I, you, we were just out. You saw the people coming. Over, Kyle, you're <laughs> just like you were the most popular guy in the lobby. You say Michael Doherty was there. Doctor Doherty was there. <laughs> That's what I really needed. Is I really needed Mike Doherty to be, to be standing there and for me to walk in and yeah. people go, Kyle. And then I'd be like, That's me. What can I do for you, sir? Oh, Mr. Doherty. Hello. Yeah. Yep. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I know it's a popular, you know, po- you know, podcast, and so we really do appreciate. You well, know, I appreciate what you guys do, yeah. obviously. Well, thank I you. I mean, it's but it's seriously, it's kind of funny to me because I figure that. So many people just automatically go to Sci-Fi Japan, and then when I do a news episode, which is not that often, mm-hmm. but like when we do news episodes, I get people who say like, "Oh, I've, if you hadn't have said this, I wouldn't know about that." Yeah. And I'm like, "Really? Because it's all on SciFiJapan.com." <laughs> we, I get that. All you know, yeah. it's you hope it's getting out there to people, <laughs> totally, but you totally. never, and people go like, "What is that?" And you're like, "Well, it's been up for like 15 years now." <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. want to talk about anything that you've been working on recently outside of Sci-Fi Japan? Well, yeah, I mean, we obviously been doing the Ultraman stuff. Sure. So, um, uh, I don't know how much you could talk about that, right? Yeah, I will try to you know watch what I say because obviously, yeah, we're still in the early stages on that. Well, let's well, di- dial it back to. Well, you were just talking about Subaraya winning their court case. Yeah. I'm assuming that was almost like a launching point for oh, this avenue of, of work. So I guess for anyone who doesn't know, Subaraya was in a rights dispute over the first six shows or seven right. shows uh, for international rights, basically. Mm-hmm. And it would drag on for like over two decades. Yeah. Um, uh, if you want to hear about this, listeners, I can link directly to a Brad Warner interview that I did in 2000. 15 or 16 or something like that but I'll put a link in the show notes to this episode yeah Brad would know it really well Brad Brad talked about it quite a lot in detail it was kind of cool to hear his take on it Mm -hmm. yeah so anyway so So, they just won that court case yeah Yeah. so what happened is the company one of the the companies they were fighting with the rights on sued Subraya in California Mm -hmm. saying uh, like this is the beyond and all kind of court case and Subraya won it yeah so the rights reverted back to Subraya fully internationally um 
which allows the writers to then start marketing those shows. Totally, yeah. So, super exciting for Ultraman fans at the time. Yes. So it's like, having wanted to see like legitimate, licensed, quality releases of these films, and also to see all the shows that have never got put out over here. You yeah. I, mean, I was hoping for that for a long time. Um, so what happened now is... is Mill Creek Entertainment, who has put out the Gamera sets and Dimagin and things like that, on top of all their own <laughs> library of things, um, licensed uh, made a licensing deal with Superaya, where they licensed like twenty five plus television series, mm-hmm. twenty movies, and then a bunch of different like straight to video specials and things like that. So it was basically everything that the rights were available for at that time. So, that's awesome. So it's not every single thing Ultraman. Oh, yeah. Everything that's available at that time. That's right. In our last news episode, I believe I said out loud every single everything. But Keith is here to shed a little light on that. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a few shows where they had done Mm co-productions, so they don't hold the international rights. Okay, yeah. Um, Not necessarily with Ultraman stuff, but but I think like one of the Ultra Q is a uh, Dark Fantasy. I think uh, is yes. a co-production, so the rights aren't available at this oh, time. Oh, so Dark uh, Fantasy's not going to no, get a release? No, but Ultra Q and Neo Ultra Q are. Okay. So, I mean, those are good. I love yeah. Ultra Q, and I love Neo Ultra Q yeah. as well. So, um, But Dark Fantasy, when it becomes available, I'm sure we'll snap cool. it. Cool. You know, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um, There's an episode that has never been translated, ah. it, with subtitles at least, in the, the circles that I run in. And so, <laughs> there, I mean, basically, like, what they have, like... 50 episodes or something like that for Neo for, or for, for Dark, uh, Fantasy? Dark Fantasy I want to say it was 26 so, okay so like yeah. but if they're with 26 episodes yeah. only 20 of them got translated uh, and so okay. there's like 5 or 6 that I've like never seen uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, so um, but like say for what is available they've got yeah and now they're going to be you know starting in October they're starting with Ultra Q and Ultraman which would be the uh, HD transfer straight from Subaraya. Cool. Uh, they're the Japanese language versions for now. With right. English subtitles. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, there, there's... I was hired after the deal was made, mm-hmm. obviously, because they didn't need a consultant. Um, <laughs> but Mill Creek hired me because they wanted someone who was familiar with Ultraman mm-hmm. and knew, again, what to ask for. Yeah. Uh, what versions were available or what versions were made. Um, and also just to kind of, like, help write press materials, write the you know, cover copy for the booklets or for the uh, covers. And then we're doing booklets as well for the classic shows. Right. Um, right. And also just catching like, cause Subra has provided English language materials, mm-hmm. but they're not always consistent. And so you have to go like, well, it's spelled this way here. Right. And the na- name spelled that way there. Which one are we using? So that when we do stuff, it's, Subtitles match what's in the booklet, gotcha, which gotcha. matches the packaging. Which you know, are you guys working with that uh, company that's doing the Bible? Yes. Yeah. So okay. it's um, I don't know if it was like directly Gomez? working. Uh, they're called Starlight. Starlight. Run, yeah, Starlight Runner. Runner. That's right. Because um, basically, Subaru hired them to prepare presentation materials. Mm-hmm. So we're getting stuff that Subaru themselves have done, plus materials from Starlight Runner, um, which are things like yes, episode Bibles. And episode guides and things like that, right? You know? And like I said, it's for it's because they're still early in this process. There's like little things aren't always meshing, so that's yeah. kind of where I come in and go, "Hey, wait, wait, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ask about this, find out about that, you know." Wait, um, is Starlight Runner doing like a per episode Bible, or do they do per series? No, per series. Okay, so okay. It's yeah. actually almost like one overview with kind of like sections for each show. So gotcha, kind of like, gotcha. They like describe some key monsters, 
Okay. Give me an overview of what the show is. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. I haven't seen it yet, yeah. obviously, so yeah. I'm just kind of curious about that whole thing. Yeah. So I've listened to some podcasts where he's been on and talked about uh, their process. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really cool, but at the same time, I almost feel like the conversation we're having is yeah. the stuff I really want to know because <laughs> the, the whole Bible thing, that's for mm, media executives kind of, right? Yeah, well, like, it's basically – for them, when they're dealing with licensees, mm-hmm. to give somebody to go, right. this is what this show is. Here's how to expect. Yeah. yeah, here's what yeah. to expect when you're yeah. expecting Ultraman. You know, so if you're, uh, say, doing Return of Ultraman, mm-hmm. this tells you what the show's about, what the key characters are, what the key monsters are, and then if you're like saying doing a toy line for whatever reason, oh of course, yeah, you, know, toys, you would yeah. have this kind of stuff, and you would just be able to pull from that uh-huh. and use it on packaging or whatever. Right, right, yeah. Um, so we're using all this stuff as guides, basically, and kind of trying to do our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with my own research when we're cool. writing materials and things like that. Um, but the thing is, is that Subarai, because of the on the, the issues they'd had with the lawsuits, yes. where they couldn't market stuff internationally for a long time, uh, English dubs and things like that were not a priority for the studio because we couldn't do anything with it. Right. And since uh, the days when they had dubbed a lot of this stuff, they have been bought by other companies. Subaru was a family-owned company. Yeah. Now so much part- has changed yeah. in 50, 60 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in the last, like, 10, 15 years, they've been bought by one company, and now they're partially owned by Bandai. Yeah. And they've moved facilities a couple of times. Totally. <laughs> and so as we're going to them and asking about materials, it's a matter of they have to find it. Yeah. It's kinda, and we have to use what they give us. <laughs> so, totally. so it really depends on, yeah. you know. So I'm constantly with Mill Creek going, you know, let's follow up on this. Let's like see. And Mill Creek has been very receptive. Like they brought me in and I bugged the hell out of them. Yeah. And they say, well, that's what we brought you here for. You yeah. Know? That's cool. Um, and they seem very, they're, you know, everything I've been, you know, working with them on, they are, like I said, very receptive. Yeah. Um, I ask them to like look into something. The next time I talk to them, they've looked into it. That's cool. You know, which that's is always good. Not always the case when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, they follow up on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're tracking down the best we can elements for the sure, different yeah. dubs. Um, Super Eye is now looking to see what they can, you know, pull out of their warehouses and archives. But it's just, you know, if it's available, we'll use it. Right, yeah. And if it's not, then we'll do the best we can, <laughs> you know. So the conversation we had last night about this October release mm-hmm. versus potentially maybe something in the future uh, in in terms of the dubs, can we talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I, right now, I mean, there's nothing really set. So yeah, it's like, so I mean, it's like basically, used, right now, Tsuburaya doesn't have the U.S. the English language dubs yeah. of the 1966 film. Yeah, that's basically I mean, where 66 we're 66 kind of series, I yeah. should say. Yeah. Um, so um, we're looking at other avenues, and you know, the thing is, because the deadline is coming up, you know, the production release date set, they've already got orders. Yeah, also has to be met. Um, We'll look and see what maybe can be done down the line mm-hmm. if this doesn't work the way we want it to. I mean, in terms of the dubs don't come up, up in time for us to make right, the production yeah, yeah. schedule. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like it's just one of those things where, you know, uh, working as hard as we can, yeah. doing the best we can. Even, so. even if you were able to get those old or those UPA dubs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so those old. Actually, no, dub, United Artists. You know, OK. Yeah. 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 The old United dubs yeah. are like those episodes were edited too, right? So you couldn't just do a direct, could it, you do it, just it, a direct transfer of that? It kind of, it depends. Cause basically the, my understanding is the shows were dubbed uncut. Oh, okay. and then the show was syndicated. 
So local markets would cut the episodes for either that makes local sense. standards yeah. or commercial time. Um, and um, I know there's like a scene where like a bird poops on somebody, and I think that might have gotten cut out of the out of the American, but nothing like you would really consider evil birds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so those supposedly, you know, do exist or did exist. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff you've seen, like when they've done the previous unlicensed from Super I releases, people were using, just pulling from like VHS copies. Of right. Them. Yeah. And those were missing chunks because those were from some syndication package. Totally. Or something. Um, so we're trying to get the uncut ones, obviously. Yeah. Um, the only real sources would be whatever might still exist from the United Archives, you know, United Artists Archives. Uh-huh. Um, and then whatever Super I might have. Um, and even getting the stuff from like United Artists, which is now owned by MGM, um, we're in talks with them, but it's cool. like, it's a it's a process. Yeah. So, so the yeah. United Artists dubs, did they also do the Ultra Q dubs that never got released, or was that a different company? It was actually, um, it was not United Artists. Um, I believe it was dubbed before they got it. But, CBS. But, yeah, I believe CBS yeah. had licensed it, and then they decided not to go with it after they'd already had it dubbed. Right, yeah. So United Artists ended up with those dubs. Um, again, this show is kind of a really weird, vague um, de- because for a long time, there's there thought there was only one episode dubbed as a sample. Episode then, three. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then more have turned up in hands of private collectors. Yeah. Um, like 60 million prints. Um, United Artists has copies of the show, but they're not sure what they are. because, Or I should say MGM does. Because they don't own the rights anymore. No one's looking at this stuff. It's sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. So you, you don't have the stature now. You could just walk into any, any warehouse and <laughs> no. any archive and as just much pull as what I, you want. As much as I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> but we've put in, you know, the request again and it's just, yeah. uh, got to acquire the material, see what it is. Yeah. See if it's usable. Oh man. You know, and then, uh, and then look into getting it transferred and that's a multi-month at least process. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we're trying with that. I'm also looking into just like other shows that were dubbed. You know, there's the Ultra Seven dub. We're looking into getting that, even though it's not a spectacular dub. Yeah, aren't there two dubs technically? Like, yeah, uh, there's there's the one that was Super I did one themselves in Hawaii, uh-huh. which was done by Hawaiian college students that were in like the theater program, and they did it for a broadcast in Hawaii. Um, reportedly lost. Um, Super oh, okay. I, I know when Brad was there, Brad found like three episodes. Just random okay. episodes of the show. Um, <laughs> but the rest, no one knows. Yeah. And so it's, again, it's something I have put in request with, yeah. with Subaraya, and they're looking for. That's interesting, um, though. There's also the, the dubs that were done when the show was on TNT. Right. And those were done in the 80s, and then the show didn't get broadcast until like a decade later. I think those um, are the dubs I've seen. Yeah. That are really very cheesy. Yeah. They, you could clearly were done... Kind of, they were going for that like drunken college crowd, kind of like put it oh, on at two in the then morning. They succeeded, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I remember watching uh, this is recent, right? Yeah. I picked it up, I picked up a uh, unlicensed series uh, release, I guess I should say. But I was watching it, and this some of the phrasing that they use is like, Did he just say that? What yeah. does that even mean? Exactly, I'm 45 years old, and I've been speaking English my whole life. I've never heard that phrase, you know, <laughs> that kind of weird stuff. It's like that's. I guess that kind of gives a little bit of charm, though, because yeah. it's so bizarre. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of fits in with the, uh, I almost feel like, not mystery science, but kind of like that little bit of an yeah, attitude, yeah. a little bit, you know. Um, totally. You know, um, <laughs> and so like so, so that's another dub that existed, 
whether Subaraya has it. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> that's the other thing is I think a lot of people don't understand is um, you're looking at, like, the classic Toho stuff or, like, these Ultraman shows. A lot of the companies, like Subaraya or Toho, would license the show in America. An American mm-hmm. company would edit and dub it. And then when their rights expire, um, I've seen some of the old contracts, and they say, when this expires, return all elements or destroy them. Oh, Oh, you know, and so, so if you can imagine, say, you're MGM in the 1980s and you've got the AIP dub of Destroy All Monsters. Yeah. Your rights have expired. You didn't own the film originally anyway. It's something you've acquired by buying you know, AIP. And you come to this point where they say, all right, your rights have expired. Please return all these elements or just throw them away. Oh, my God. You know, it's like, are you going to spend the <laughs> time and money to ship that right. stuff back? Of course, of course. Or are you yeah. just going to go throw it in a dumpster? Yeah. You know I mean, um, I think a lot of dumpsters yeah. <laughs> had a lot of materials <laughs> yeah. over the years. Um, so, like, people assume, like, well, Toho must have Ghidra. You know, and I'm saying Ghidra by referring to the American cut of, sure, yeah. of that movie. Um, and they don't. <laughs> they, you know, um, the AIP uh, Godzilla vs. the Samog Monster. Yeah, Toho. Uh, one time I was at their offices and they had a um, really battered 16 millimeter print that they said was basically unplayable. Ugh, That's yeah. what they had for that. Um, and so, um, you know, we get these shows and we're working with the original, you know, the rights holders. Yeah, and it's just a matter of was stuff returned to them? Did anybody yeah. care enough to go get the materials back at the in the day? Um, were they cataloged properly so you can find them now? Right, because if the, like if a dub ended up making its way back to Japan yeah. and then to Subaraya's offices. Yeah. We heard from Brad yeah. <laughs> what the offices were like back in the day. Yeah, when it was yeah. a family-run business, I yeah. guess it was very... They were very lackadaisical, I guess would be the polite way of putting yeah. how they stored foreign materials or, <laughs> yeah. or stuff. Or um, even their own materials, true, too. Yeah. yeah, Some of the stuff we heard from him was yeah. uh, telling... He told us that basically he had to throw a bunch of stuff out yeah. at one point. And it's like... Don't you want to keep that? Don't you want to like have that available for years later? But that longevity thinking yeah. wasn't really in play at, at Super at that, I, time, at that time. Yeah. yeah, and you know, so this stuff really does become quite the uh, detective. You know, yeah. you know, you're you're following every lead you possibly can. Yeah, um, you're trying to track them, and it it becomes that thing again. Like I said, you're dealing with a company where, you know. Mill Creek or Classic Media or whoever has bought these things, yeah, because they're trying to make money. Totally, yeah. And there's a certain point where they go, "This is no longer a profitable venture for us." Yeah, that's, and then, that sucks that that happens. Yeah. But it's under, I think yeah, it's understandable. It's, it's, you know, it's realistic. I mean, it's like sad, but it's it's the you know it's, you got to deal in reality. Yeah, you know. So, um, you know, like I said, Mill Creek is really following every avenue. I mean, I'm throwing crazy ideas at them. That's so good to talk hear. Talk to too. so and so. A lot of people will talk about Mill Creek as just being a, you know, just quickie release kind of company. Mm-hmm. I think, which was the first, did they do Dimagine? Yeah. Yeah. So when they released Dimagine, I think that was one of those, wow, they're actually putting some effort into this release. I believe their origins was basically the kind of impulse buy bin. You yeah. Know? The things where you go into a Walmart and you get the $5 disc, you know. That or the of, yeah. 30 movies. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of said, yeah, that was kind of what they were doing. But, you know, the company's grown. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, you know, some of the stuff I'd worked with them on, you know, they were putting a lot of care into. Obviously, like the, like I said, Dimagine and uh, the Gamma sets. Oh, right. You know, yeah, they yeah, did those, those too. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were the ones, like, like when they were dealing with, uh, I think it was the Gamma 3, the subtitles mm-hmm. company, they did their subtitling, screwed it up. Right. So they made yeah, a point yeah. of, like, replacing those discs for anyone who bought I mean, they, they like, they cared. You know, yeah. They were no, that to, was super cool. We know. talked about that when it happened. Yeah. Because, uh, 
because I was one of those guys that yeah. was like, what's wrong with my subtitles? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the Ultraman's kind of part of this package where, you know, they're doing like deluxe sets for like shows like um, The Shield, and, you know, a lot of American shows. And they're much more interested now in, you know, still doing the kind of the, the bargain stuff, mm-hmm. but also doing these really high end limited edition Ooh, sets cool, yeah. with a lot of care and effort with, you know, bonus features and, and making it worth the, you know, yeah. hardcore fans would be happy with the product. So, like, so speaking of what well, you just mentioned, the, the limited edition yeah. bonus or, you know, special feature mm-hmm. DVD releases or Blu-ray releases. I know that Ultraman and Ultra Q are getting steelbook releases yes. in addition to the existing, the, the, you know, regular release. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more special about the Steelbook, or is it literally just the, the packaging? It's, I, mean, I think it's the packaging is the main thing on those. I don't know. Yeah, I think both versions come with the with the, uh, the booklet, from what I understand. I'm, I'm not 100% positive on that. Okay, but yeah. Um, and, but it would be, they basically wanted to do just really high-quality packaging. Gotcha, for, gotcha. They're, what they're calling, like, the Classic 7, or I think it is. Mm, okay. It's Ultra Q through Taro. We're oh, going right to have, on. like, this kind of Steelbook packaging. And then um, the... Uh, Classic shows, even the standard version sets, the boxing is going to have a kind of a uniform look to it so that they'll, you know, you have on your shelf, they'll blend really they'll look nicely. look coherent. Yeah, I exactly. love that. I love that as a designer. <laughs> I like for them, everything to look like it belongs together. Yeah. You know, and then said on top of doing the classic stuff, obviously they've got rights all the way up to the most recent shows. Yes. So they'll be, the plan is basically is to alternate. So you'll get Q and Ultraman, mm-hmm. and then a month or two later, you're going to need to get two classic or two new titles sure, from yeah. the newer series. Um, and then after that would be Ultra 7. And then a month or so after that, you'll get two more. Or, okay. You know, and they basically would do it that way so that they're, they want to make sure because they have so many titles, they want to get them out at a yes, good pace, yeah. but not also break everybody's backs you know, yeah. with their wallets. <laughs> you know? so. What is the release that you are the most excited for from this uh, Super Eye adventure? Well, I grew up with Ultraman, so mm-hmm. I love getting a really high quality official release. Yeah, that is, you know, for me, it's like yeah, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> there's a lot of the shows that you know haven't been released here, so I think it's be really cool to get Return of Ultraman for the first time officially released. I, I think that's the it. one yeah. that I'm sort of like focusing on because mm-hmm. that's the series I've just never seen it, and I know so many of the monsters from yeah, it because they are so it. popular. Like Return of Ultraman. For listeners that are not as familiar with Ultraman as I am, and I'm not familiar with Ultraman, but, like, some of the more iconic monsters come out of that series. And, like, if you're just looking at the first series or Ultra 7, you'll sit there and go, like, man, I know I've seen that monster somewhere, but he wasn't in the series. Ultra Return of Ultraman is probably where you're going to go for that stuff. Yeah, and there's things, too, like it's the first show where the Ultraman start teaming up. You have Ultra 7 and Ultraman. Story shift, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you also have episodes directed by Shiro Honda. So, oh, for Return yeah. of Ultraman? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, I mean, you have all these kind of great connections where yeah, yeah. if you're even a casual fan, there's like a reason to give this a look, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm super excited for Ultra Q. That's my favorite anything mm-hmm. from the Ultra series. But uh, just in terms of seeing things that I've never seen before, Return of Ultraman has got to be my number one. Yeah, that's what I'm very much looking forward yeah. to. You know, and it, and it looks like it'd be great because, you know, we've got an Ultraman, we've got an Ultra 7, mm-hmm. you know, released here. Um, and then, you know, like a lot of the uh, 90s shows are really great. And so yeah. it's like I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to bring over, you know, Gaia. You totally, know, yes. Things yeah. like that, you know. And then, 
you know, get into the 2000s, you got Max and Mebius and mm-hmm, a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've even got things like the uh, Ultra Galaxy series where you're going to be doing oh, yeah. those. So, That's awesome. Um, you know, and um, and then, of course, the, like I said, the movies, basically. Um, I think they have pretty much every movie from the 90s up is what we're doing. Because the earlier stuff, uh, for the most part, are compilation films. Right. So, yeah. Um, I've never been able to see any of those. But yeah. when I read about them, it's like the, the very first Ultraman movie. It wasn't really an Ultraman movie. No, yeah. It was, it's like three episodes with, you know, new credits. That's mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. what you're getting. Um, <laughs> And the ones that do have new material, like Ultraman Story, we'll be looking into as they become available. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's like you got all the stuff from like basically Ultraman Zeus all the way up to, you know, I guess the G movie or RB movie, you know? Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. so it's a. Yeah, it's you a guys nice have a huge, huge yeah. library available to you guys. I think it's the. I mean, I'm trying to think of something else that's like that big a one time licensing deal. It's crazy. You, get, you know. I, is there like a number? Like, do you know how many shows that is on total? Did you say 20 earlier? It was like, it's 25 plus shows wow. and 20 movies. And I think the initial estimate, it was something like close to 1,200 episodes. Damn. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's a lot to go through, you know. Yeah, you totally. Know? Um, Are you concerned at all about the release schedule there? Like in terms of, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to... No, say anything negative here, but basically, you guys are starting with Ultra Q and Ultraman, which mm. is awesome, and then you're moving to newer stuff that mm. is not going to have that um, nostalgia factor mm-hmm. for a lot of people, at least. And then when you jump back to Ultra Seven and Return of Ultraman, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I don't because they're doing the Steelbooks. I'm not sure if we're going to do two per month because that might be a bit much to ask yeah, customers. Yeah. So it may be two at the start and then one a month. Yeah. Or so, one every other month. But are you that. concerned like if you're if you're jumping back and forth between the time periods of these releases, like so first the two original series, now going to the you know some of the ending series and then coming back again to the mm-hmm. beginning, then like jumping back again to the old like if the new stuff doesn't sell as well, will they still be interested in continuing that process? Um, I mean, I guess sales would dictate. Yeah, right. Um, but the thing right now is, is the idea was because we have so many shows. Yeah, you know, and it's going to take. I think it's something like a five year release schedule is kind of what they're looking at. Yeah, to try to, But they didn't want to make people wait because, like, for example, Archman RB wasn't one of the shows that got streamed over here. So it's never... Okay, yeah. They want to say, like, well, hey, we got it, and you'll be seeing it in five (laughs) years, you know? Um, So I think the idea really was to try to, like... There's people who are watching the current stuff, Mm -hmm. give them something, obviously do the classic stuff. Yeah. um, And try to give it so we can kind of work towards the middle, I think is kind of the plan. Sure, yeah. Um, And then, you know, obviously if something breaks, you know, like, I mean, if something really pops out, maybe Mm -hmm. turn to that, you know... I guess the schedule is flexible, obviously, yeah. but um, I can say that the you know I, they haven't solicited anything beyond the first two titles so far, um, and the pre-orders were really good. Good, super. That's good. I was going to actually ask about that. Yeah, they were actually um, telling me that um, the steel books and the standard editions of Ultra Q and Ultraman were all in the top 100 on Amazon. Whoa! Um, for um, the like in the first week or so yeah. that they were announced. The orders, the orders really came in, um, so they were very happy about that. Cool. So they're like, well, that's super cool. They're like, you know, because they obviously put a big investment. You're buying that many shows. I don't know what they paid, but I'm sure it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to see the initial like return, you know, that people, were, you know, the audience yeah. is there. You know, that's awesome. And they're responding to a quality release. You know, it's that's like, super cool. Um, 
I was concerned so, about that totally. You know, you know just because how Ultraman doesn't have a lot of proliferation here in the United yeah. States. Yeah. So, um, and and the hope is too is is we talked about you know they're doing the Blu-rays, they also have streaming rights. Mm-hmm. So the hope is like I is to get it you know on streaming platforms. Be, you know, um, Mill Creek has their own. So if you buy really? the set, yeah, they have that thing called a movie screen. Okay. So, um, oh um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, yeah. Uh, you know, so you can you will have the code or whatever you can watch them that way too when you get. But there will be other ways like you know looking at Amazon Prime and things yeah. Like that. Um, for some of the stuff, maybe down the line getting some stuff on television. You know, mm-hmm. but we'll have to see how that goes. And That'd stuff. be interesting, right? Like, who would you look at, right? Like what. Would you focus on a network? Would you go smaller for a cable station? I would assume like, it would be like it would have to be one of the cable stations, yeah. or even like there's things like um, you get a, like the Showtime group. They have a channel that's specifically related to science fiction. Oh, okay. Called Showtime Beyond. Really? If you buy Showtime, it's one of their package of channels. Um, I'm so bad. I'm, yeah. I'm like a long time no cable subscriber <laughs> guy. So I'm like, really? What's all this uh, secondary channels? Yeah. <laughs> it's the thing you buy one, yeah. you get five, basically. Um, but there's like things like that, or maybe they would be, you know, yeah. you know obviously you look at like, you know, something like the Sci Fi Channel or one of those type mm-hmm. things, you know, um, you know. The TNTs, TBSs, you know. Um, Get Ultra 7 back on TNT. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what, this again? Yeah. Um, but, you know, so there's, there's lots of ways to hopefully get it back out there yeah. in the public consciousness. You know? Totally. Um, clearly, people remember Ultraman because when that first set went up on, you know, the orders start coming in. So Yeah, super cool um, about that. That's right. And, um, you know, and like I said, we're just going to try to do our best to make these as good as we possibly can. You know? Well, that's great, man. Yeah. I mean, that's what we want as yeah. fans. And, you know, I I think one of the things that's most exciting to me about these ultra shows coming out are the are like the, the new fans, the people mm-hmm. that don't know about Ultraman. They're going to be able to uh, maybe get involved with the old school stuff or with the new school, new school stuff and become fans yeah. through that. That's going to be rad. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. So what, what else would I even want to ask you? I mean, what else is you're, you're focusing on sci-fi Japan and Mill Creek entertainment now. Is there anything else that that you're working on? That's kind of the two big things right now. I am, um, you know, I'm an artist, yeah. so, um, I had kind of like gotten out of the art thing for a while just cause I've been busy with all this other stuff. So yeah. I'm looking to get back in that as time allows, okay. you know, so, so I'm kind of like getting doing some artwork again you know cool. and getting portfolio back together and get ready to go pitching to people uh <laughs> maybe do some more comic book stuff but it's like these two things are keeping me so busy right now you know yeah they just life you know just yeah, totally. family yeah, yeah. and you know your own just day-to-day type things you know like you know between them all it's like getting stretched oh yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah you know. well i could talk to you probably for another hour and a half <laughs> Uh, but uh, I don't want to take up any more of your Godzilla Fest time. So we'll get back downstairs okay. and mingle with the people. But Keith Aiken, oh, my God, 10 years. It's been so long <laughs> since so I've been able to get you. I mean, so you've never been on the podcast before, yeah. but this is awesome. This is the perfect way to do it. Yeah, right? Like, and Godzilla in the background. Godzilla in the background. Face-to-face for the first time in years. Yeah. So like, I much uh, more prefer face-to-face yeah, interviews yeah. Than, than anything online. But, yeah, this was great, dude. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you. And thank you for all your help early on in the podcast oh, and all that good yeah, stuff. You're very welcome for anything we did. I'm, I'm happy that we could be of help. Yeah. You know, you're a good friend. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> you know, we got each other's backs. So. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so just add me to that Mill Creek Entertainment uh, press list and I'll be all good. <laughs> we should talk because, you know, 
I'd say talk about maybe doing like a giveaway or something on the site. And oh, some, that would be awesome. Yeah, we, we only have like a couple of months left. So if whatever we can give away, that'd be awesome. And then uh, I did want to mention that because I follow Mill Creek on Facebook. And like one day, I think I mentioned this in just like the last two or three episodes. But one day I was on Facebook and I saw a picture that said, check out all the all the review copies being sent out for Ultra Q and Ultraman. And I was like, oh, uh, comment too late to get the kaiju cast in on this <laughs> like that's a total joke but uh, I should probably get involved in that because yeah, uh, I'd, I'd be really interested in seeing this new stuff coming out from from the Ultra series yeah I mean like I said you know getting to catch shows like Return of Ultraman for the first time totally yeah yeah it's like here you go America finally you know <laughs> 50 years after it was made it's coming to America so <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how people respond oh know. me too man me too uh, well, dude, thank you so much. And yeah, if people want to follow Keith, follow him on Sci Fi Japan yeah, stuff. That's the you know, that's the main thing. I'm right? on Facebook and everything, but I, I you don't really so, post that much. No, on I'm Facebook. so busy yeah. with everything else. It's like I go on Facebook and I post like links on our Sci Fi Japan site. And I'm like, <laughs> I check other people, see how they're doing, like check on friends. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm know? out. You know? Yeah. So it's like, I figure if my friends really want to know, they can call. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. On social media, you guys have the Sci-Fi Japan Facebook yeah. page. There's a Twitter page as well. Oh, yeah. And we'll be do- probably expanding to an Instagram, so we haven't gotten to that Ooh. yet. But, you know, Let me know uh, if you need any tips on Instagram. I'm I just probably would because I've never used it. So. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, listeners, get out there, follow those links, and hopefully we'll have more cool news from Mill Creek and Sci-Fi Japan. We'll definitely have more cool news from Sci-Fi Japan by the end of the year. So. I just want to say thanks again for all the plugs over the years really appreciate it oh so. dude my pleasure i mean it helps it helps flesh out the shows for sure right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right there you go all right thanks guys bye Thank you.